Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I got three things uh, really quick before we get going. Uh, first is Emoms is hosting a family day at the Lompoc Aquatic Center next Sunday. So if you'd like to get together, connect with other families, let the kids go splash and play and have fun, we would love for you guys to come. Space is limited, so please sign up for that so we can get all the spaces filled. And if you are someone who maybe signed up for it and know you can't come anymore, please let us know that too. That way we know we have space for other families who are able to go. That'd be great. Second is a save the date for something else we're doing for parents. We are going to be doing a parenting conference on September 7th and 8th, so mark your calendars for that. It's Paul Tripps. This is the same guy that did the marriage conference. It's his simulcast on parenting, and there's going to be more details coming up in the uh, next few days on that. And my last announcement is today is my daughter Faith's 11th birthday, so I'm doing my embarrassing dad thing by asking all of you to wish her a happy birthday today. It's kind of like wearing the little pins at Disneyland, you know, so... Go out. If you see her, wish her a happy birthday. That'd be great. Okay, there are Bibles under your seats in front of you if you forgot one and would like to use one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one of these. Please use it, take it, uh, keep it as yours. You can also open up an app, and on there you can click uh, open up version, and on there you can click on more and then events, and you can find all the questions, verses, and notes that go along with today's message. There are also analog versions of all those uh, message notes and everything that go along with today's message on all the communion tables around the room for you. So, for those of you I don't know, or those that are new this morning, my name is Donald Weeding. My wife and I are deacons and GC leaders here, and every now and then I'm asked to give the morning message on a Sunday, and that's this morning, so either sorry or you're welcome in advance for that. Uh, it was way back in January when Aaron got an email out to a handful of us about doing a message during this series in Proverbs, and with suggestions that can come up in the book of Proverbs that we can teach about. Everything from marriage, children, worship, gluttony, favoritism, aging, drinking, friendship, and envy, among others. I would have loved to do one of those, or any of the others on the list, but God, through prayer, said I should do the one that I struggle with most. That one on the list that I was actually scared about doing, and that was Pride. I actually tried to avoid it by meeting with Aaron and suggesting that maybe I should cover drinking because I enjoy it so much, or honesty and lying, or even favoritism. I wanted to cover those because those are topics, you know, I don't feel like I struggle with that much, and I can even boast about them a bit while teaching and give all the right answers that I have. But right, that right there was my pride in that moment wanting to take control of what God had planned for me. And for you all this morning, too, because here we are, we're going to talk about pride today. So let's stand for the reading of God's word and dive right in. This, this is Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, this morning we can humble ourselves and open up our hearts uh, to what you are calling us and what you are saying to us. Uh, that we can become the people that you call us to be and that we can look into our lives and see where we aren't focused on you but focused on ourselves and that you can break us free of that and give us a life that's wonderful and full of glory that's giving glory to you. In your good name we pray, amen. So this series we're in, we're calling Counterculture, and it's about finding wisdom that allows us to grow closer to God. We're to find knowledge that is lived out in God's wisdom. It's about honoring God first in all the things that we do, and then using his wisdom to filter out everything that we do in our life in a way that honors God. By living in God's wisdom, we will affect the people around us in a positive way by how we give glory to Jesus. 
If we live for God and give glory to him, we fill our hearts with him, then that will spill out to those around us in a way that reflects his glory. On the other side of that, if we fill our hearts with ourselves and our wants and needs, that will then spill out to those around us in a way that reflects our own glory. And that is pride. There are three types of pride. Superiority, arrogance, and dignity. A superiority pride, an arrogant pride, and a false dignity pride. Superiority, it has an element of wanting to win or be better than others. Superiority believes that I am better than you. Arrogance is usually superiority on steroids. It's constantly challenging others to show its superiority. The highlight of arrogant pride is challenging people believed to be inferior to show how, it is, how, how they are better or, than those around us. Dignity, in a negative context, wants to be acknowledged and not treated as inferior. It usually just wants to be seen as right. While you might be able to quickly self-identify with one of these or all three types of pride, the good news is that God speaks to us on this subject through Jesus, and we can pursue humility through him. Pride is the hardest in our world to, today to live counterculture to. Right now, God is calling us to live for him. Culture asks that we live for ourselves. God calls us to give glory to him. Culture shows us to claim glory for ourselves. We live in a social media world where we are encouraged to share everything great in our lives, and not only to share it, but to make it look as great and awesome as possible so we can look happy and accomplished to the world around us. Even down to the meals we eat. Seriously, people are taking photos of their food and then posting it for the whole world to see, as if it's something everyone is really interested in. Why? Well, I might have an answer for you, because we're prideful. I've done the very same thing, and I'm willing to admit that when I post that photo, I'm thinking, look at this great burger I prepared, and this delicious beer I've put it with. Everyone compliment me. Everyone like, upvote, and share, and compliment my greatness. See, pride is so very ingrained in our society that we are actually encouraging one another to be prideful. And in today's world, we don't value humility. We don't value humbleness. The Bible tells us to live kingdom down. God is at the head. The gospel is the goal, and everything trickles down from there. Instead of kingdom down, we are living culture up. We are starting with ourselves and what we can do to be seen as great and using that to build ourselves up. Do you know that when we look at the Bible, we see the proudest person is the devil, Satan. Satan was proud and thought of himself as better than God, and he knew better than God. And we are no better when we do the same thing. Our culture is prideful. You are prideful. I am prideful. We live in a world surrounded by it, and it's in fact the very same characteristic as the worst being in the Bible from start to finish. I love jokes. I love telling good stories, but today is going to be a little more serious for me because I need you to understand where we are right off the top to understand what God is calling us to, to live counterculture. Pride causes a false dignity in our culture and brings out this sinful nature within ourselves and those around us. And I'm not necessarily trying to call you out. I'm trying to call us all out, actually. Because like I said, this is something that I deal with myself. Honestly, I'm a very prideful person at heart. But can we all agree this morning that we all suffer from pride from one degree or another? We all suffer from either a superiority, arrogance, or a false dignity, or some combination of the three. I suppose we have to agree because no one can say, I'm humble. Because as soon as you do, you blow it. Even me telling you that I'm prideful breeds this bit of pride inside me. Hey, look at me being the good, honest Christian. Look at me admitting my sin publicly. Look at me giving my sin up to God. Don't I deserve praise? Don't I deserve the Christian points? I mean, this is a serious problem, and I deal with it daily. 
I don't know if I'll ever be cured of this battle of pride. I, I don't think anyone ever really is cured of pride. But we can pursue humility through Jesus. The opposite of pride is humbleness. And the most humble person in the Bible is Jesus. Through Jesus' strength, grace, and words, we can truly live pursuing humbleness and living the wonderful, glorious life that he calls us to. We can live kingdom down instead of culture up. The issue of pride also isn't one of those gray areas. We can say the Bible isn't very clear, or maybe we have to really dive into God's word to see what he is calling us to. Scripture is pretty straightforward when it comes to pride. The first verse we read this morning was straight to the point and very clear. Yet, let me give you a few more from the book of Proverbs in case you don't think it is very clear. This is Proverbs 13.10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 21.24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. God, he hates pride and arrogance in us because he loves us. And he knows our pridefulness brings strife and conflict between us and others and those around us and God himself. Pride brings us lower. But in that lowness, there is hope. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And that is humbleness. He will grow us to understand true wisdom and how he was right all along. Going outside of the book of Proverbs, we have James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proudest, but gives grace to the humble. Romans twelve three. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's so clear that God does not want us to be a prideful people. Let me give you a quick example of humbleness. In Luke 7, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says this about John the baptizer. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. I would say that if Jesus is saying this about John, that he's a pretty good human case study we can use this morning. Don't you guys agree? Okay, so here's a little history on John. John the baptizer, he is Jesus' cousin, and he comes from a long line of priests. He proclaims baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin before Jesus starts his public ministry. All four Gospels actually begin their accounts of Jesus by starting with some of John's words of introduction. People from all over came to meet this John and hear his words. John, he is filled with the Spirit. Scripture actually tells us that he is filled with the Spirit even while in his mother's womb. He is a great preacher. He is loved by many. People are repenting, getting baptized, hearing his warning that the kingdom is at hand. John has disciples following him himself. And yet, at the very same time, he is incredibly humble. Many thought that John was actually the savior that was promised, but he knew he wasn't. When asked if he was the savior, he would confess, I am not the Christ. John would later write down in his gospel account, and this is the disciple John writing about John the baptizer. There are a lot of Johns in the Bible to keep track of. So this is John 1.8. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. When Jesus shows up, he asks John to baptize him. And John tells Jesus that he isn't worthy to do so. John had even said before that he wasn't worthy to even carry Jesus' sandals. John put Jesus above him. He didn't strive for greatness or his own glory. He strove for God's greatness to be made known, unlike other religious leaders of of his day and our day too. He didn't need praise from man because living for God was good enough. God, he calls us to be more like John and to be content and to trust him instead of trying to be greater than others or better than those around us. 
we tend to place ourselves above where God is calling us to be, putting aside God's calling for us so we can do what we want to do. A superior pride of wanting to be great puts God, church, and community aside for our own desires and our own selfish needs. A misplaced dignity pride just wants to be seen as great. This may be placing yourself in a place that you're not really called to, but you want to get the respect it has. We don't want to be seen as meek. We want to be placed higher in others' eyes. This also comes across as an arrogance pride. Let's use serving as the church as an example. This church or any other church. Some people don't serve because they see it as beneath them, or they use the excuse that I'm too busy. Others serve so they can be seen as respected. Do you realize that God has placed us all in this room together this morning to love him by how we serve each other in humility? We serve, whether it's at church, home, work, in our neighborhoods, because we all need to turn to the Lord in prayer and seek where he is calling us to be. Pride isn't meant to build us up or keep us down. We all need to trust Jesus has us. Part of pursuing humility through Jesus is trusting in him and knowing our place in his kingdom. It's pursuing him instead of pursuing our desires of the flesh that create a pseudo-God in place of God. And the worst part about some of these desires is that they do bring joy and worth. But it isn't a lasting joy. It isn't a lasting worth. It's temporary and its value is fleeting. This causes us to pursue it at endless lengths over and over again. Have you ever been with someone on their deathbed knowing that death was fast approaching? Have you ever been in that situation and had that person look up to you and say, here's my phone. Could you go and upgrade it for me and bring it back so I can play with it just a little bit before I go? No, no one's ever heard that because no one has ever said that before. Because it's in that moment when death is fast approaching that we get a clear vision on what really matters. It's not the things we own or the temporary joys we chase, but we want to be with the people that are important to us in our lives, those that love and care for us and those that we love and care for. When we start living in that place below Jesus, when we live kingdom down instead of culture up, we begin to discover what a truly humble relationship with Jesus is. Our role and what we may accomplish, it is not our reward, but rather Jesus is our reward. Living with pride is believing that this is our story with God in it. Living humbly understands that we are just a part of God's story. As John said in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. We must put aside our pride of taking glory for ourselves and let Jesus have all the glory which he rightfully deserves. We're called to live a life of humility where we see Christ as king. And this doesn't mean that we look down on ourselves either. It doesn't mean that we look lower ourselves or look negatively towards ourselves. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. A great example of making yourself less is a wedding. Who is the star of the show at the wedding? The bride, yes. If you said anything else in today's culture, you'd be wrong. The bride is the star of the show. The second star of the show is the groom. This is their story, and we're here at the wedding to celebrate them. And the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, they're there to be a part of the wedding party, yet they make themselves less so the bride and groom can be more. The bridesmaids, they don't wear white or look as radiant, so the bride can look the most beautiful, can be the most radiant. The groomsmen, they act nice and they act respectful, so the groom could look nice and respectful in front of his bride. Yet they're still very much part of this wedding story. They're still there, they're still present, They're just making themselves less so the bride and groom can be more. 
See, we must be a people that decrease so Jesus can increase. Yet, we tend to think of ourselves as the bride. Hey, we're the bride of Christ. It must be about me. Well, that's just not true. In Jesus' day, the, the bride wasn't actually the focus. The focus was on the bridegroom. The groom would say to his bride, wait here with your family and I will go prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He would then go off and build this place for his bride and people would watch and wait. And when the bridegroom did come, it was a huge celebration because he had arrived and as he had promised, he has returned for his bride. See, we are the bride, but our focus isn't upon us. It's upon the bridegroom. It's upon Jesus who has promised to come for us. We wait in expectation with our eyes not on us, but upon him. We don't have pride in ourselves. It is pride in who Jesus is as our bridegroom. He keeps his promise. He rescues and he saves. The great hope in all of this is that we can break through this pride inside us by seeking true humility through Jesus. If it's a superiority pride, arrogant pride, or dignity pride, you can become aware of when it's happening as pride likes to show itself through its subtle symptoms. I got seven for you to see if you identify with. And, and just a little side note is when you're listening for someone else, that's actually arrogant pride showing itself. So here are seven symptoms of pride showing itself. One, fault finding. This is where we filter out God's goodness in one another and look at only their negative traits. We focus on a person's worst faults so they can be as horrible as we really want them to be. Two, a harsh spirit. This is finding fault in others, and we speak of their sins with contempt, irritation, frustration, and or judgment. It's hiding an issue with a joke or sarcasm, or praying about someone with a sarcastic stance because we don't really believe that God can help that person. Three, superficiality. Caring more about your appearance and how you are seen over being honest and vulnerable. It's taking care of the sins that are public while casually brushing off or ignoring those that are private. Four, defensiveness. When you're feeling attacked or your self-image is being challenged, you give an excuse to why it's happening. You defend your actions instead of repenting of them. Five is presumption before God. Telling others or yourself that God will act one way or another. It's usually great boldness about who God is while forgetting he is God. This is those moments that you believe your sin is greater than his grace. Six, a desperation for attention. Our pride is hungry for attention, respect, and worship. This may take shape in not being able to say no because you like to be needed. This may be a strong desire to be married or have a better marriage so you could be adored. Or seeking glory with the right job, car, or house because of the respect it gets. Seven, neglecting others. Pride prefers some people over others. Think about the thrill we get when someone of power or respect acknowledges us for something or something that we did. Or when we pass over the weak, the inconvenient, and the unattractive because they didn't offer anything to us, because we didn't think they were worth our time. You may have just realized that you have some of these symptoms, yet there is hope in pursuing Jesus as he will lead us into humbleness. We don't have to be superior, arrogant, or proving our false dignity when we see Jesus as superior and we see our dignity by humbly loving and serving him. You can open your Bibles to Galatians 5.16. As God's people, we can still live, work, and love our lives, giving glory to God in all the things that we do and all the things that we accomplish, having pride in our good work because it's in service for him. This is not done by living with pride in our hearts, but it's accomplished by living with the Spirit. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he gives them encouraging words that can also be encouraging words to us. This is Galatians five sixteen through 26. 
what I say. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then goes on with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul, he understands this struggle that we all deal with internally. The Spirit and our sinful nature, they're constantly at battle with each other. And at some point in this struggle, we are going to live by one and not gratify the other. Timothy Keller breaks this down nicely by saying that at one point, we live by the flesh. And when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit enters our lives and gives them a new heart. Our sinful nature was there and ruling unopposed before we were Christians. And this... the Spirit then enters a space and causes this internal struggle in transforming our old hearts into a new heart. So while the flesh glorifies and yearns for all kinds of created things, the Spirit glorifies and yearns for Jesus. Our pride is, it holds us back from welcoming the Holy Spirit into our lives. This is why it's always easier for us to label everyone else's flaws and sin as greater than ours. It's easier to justify our sin as okay. And let our pride lie to us and say that it doesn't need to be dealt with. We live in a world where we are encouraged to put our struggles and our to the side. And when asked, how are we doing? Respond with, I'm good. That is living culture up. With Jesus as king, living kingdom down, inviting the spirit into our lives, we can tr- pursue humility while living for Jesus. I told you this morning that this message was difficult for me because I am battling my own pride every day. I'd like to share with you one way that my superiority pride and dignity pride work together to cause conflict. I've been suffering from pride for so long that I don't have any empathy. I never developed it. Empathy is this amazing trait to have when loving others who are going through a hard time, and I just don't have it. Instead of being empathetic in a situation someone else is in, I jump right to telling them how they're an idiot for being in that situation, what they should have done to avoid being in that place. If I'm not saying it, I'm at least thinking it in my head. And that's my superiority pride telling me that I am better than them for not being in that spot. From there, I jump to fixing the problem they're in by informing them what their next steps need to be to get out of that place. That is my arrogance and dignity pride wanting to be worshipped for having all the correct answers for them in their time of need. So they can come up to me later and say, thank you for giving me all that great advice. The times people are down, those moments when people are in a metaphorical hole, how do you think Jesus comforts those people? Does he climb down in the hole with them? Or does he just throw them a ladder and tell them to climb like crazy? He gets in the hole with them and he provides a way out. That's what he did for us. This is the centrality of the gospel. Jesus took on flesh to come into the mess that we made and rescue and save us. Philippians 2, 4 through 8 reads, Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is my personal struggle with pride, and Jesus has taken this hard heart of mine, shown it to me, and is now working on giving me a new heart. The battle I had for years with not allowing Jesus to fix this sin was that I felt he had more important things to do, that other people's sins were greater and more important than mine. The church father, Augustine, said, pride is pregnant and gives birth to all sin. And you may sit here this morning thinking, oh, I don't suffer from pride. That's a prideful thought. Your very stance on that is prideful. All sin is rooted in pride. It's evil and God hates it. Under all sin is pride. It's a, either a superiority pride, arrogant pride, or a dignity pride. Pride saying, me first, me centered, me only, my faith, my achievements, me only, me, me, me. Humility is Jesus first. It's Jesus centered. It's Jesus' name above all names. Jesus' mission above my mission. Jesus above myself. It's God centered. God first. God's achievements. Pride is why we gossip. Pride is why we don't pray with others. Pride is why we blame others. Pride is why we lie. Pride is why we eat or drink in excess. Pride is why we look at pornography. Pride is why we steal. Pride is why we don't live in community with others. Pride is why we keep people out of community with us. Pride is why we ignore good advice. Pride is why we argue over politics. Pride is why we get upset when we don't have control. Pride is why we don't lovingly serve our wives. Pride is why we don't submit to our husbands. Pride is why we reject God. Pride is why we put ourselves above others. Pride is why we think we're better than those around us. Pride is why we think so low of ourselves. Pride is why we are selfish. Pride is why we cause drama. Pride is why we run towards evil. Pride is why we struggle. But we don't have to struggle alone. We don't have to live in that pain and hurt. But rather, we can give that up to God and walk in the Spirit. It is why Jesus came. The good news is that he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant to serve, love, and give us life again. And before we come to communion, I want to invite you all right now to close your eyes with me. Seriously, close your eyes. And I want you to think of that thing, that area in your life, that sin that you struggle with, that area that you hold on to it, and it just causes pain and hurt. You may be thinking to yourself that my sin is greater than those around you. Or you may be thinking that your sin is less than those around you. The truth is that sin is sin. And it's all heavy with pain and hurt and grief and struggle. And yet Jesus picked up that sin and he carried it in the form of a cross. While he was beat, mocked, and sped upon. And he knows the pain that our sin brings. He knows that pain that your sin creates and the struggle and the separation that it has between us and a loving God. He was then lifted up and he died for that sin. Yet he went on to conquer hell and rose again, conquering death itself taking on the punishment of that sin that we deserve, he took that on and he lovingly and humbly invites us to a new life with him again. 
you can open your eyes again. And as you do, I'm going to invite the band to come up and invite you guys to come to communion. Communion is that place where we break that cracker that represents his body that was broken for us. Jesus took on the weight of all of our sin and it broke him. And we then dipped that cracker in the wine or the grape juice that represents his blood that was spilt for you and I. And we do this in remembrance of all that he did and all that he accomplished for us. And we can come to communion. We can give our sin up to God and we can invite the spirit into our lives. In Galatians, uh, Paul writes that we're not meant to be a people that carry our sin alone. Yet, our pride lies to us and says, this is ours. This is for our, us to carry alone. This is, this is our burden. Yet, Paul says, we are to carry each other's burdens. And you may need to name your sin to the person you sinned against. You may need to name your sin to someone who could lovingly hold you accountable and help walk you through that. And I know that can be very difficult to do. And if, if that is difficult for you, there are going to be people in the back to pray with you about that. I'll be back there too if you want to pray. And, and we're also going to worship through music and through offerings. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the back. And we give so much because of a great God who came down and gave everything to us. So instead of pridefully lifting ourselves up, let's be a people that give glory to the one who was lifted up for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for coming down and rescuing us. Thank you for seeing us in in this place where we pridefully look at ourselves and pridefully focus on ourselves and rescuing us from that. God, I pray that you can come into our lives and that we would welcome your spirit in and that you would come in and shape these hard hearts of ours into new hearts. And that through that, that we would lovingly produce good fruit that you produce inside us and that that would be shared to those around us. And that we could be a humble people knowing that we can't do anything on our own, but it's only through you that we get to achieve a wonderful, glorious life that you call us to. Thank you for all the good things you do for us. In your good name we pray. Amen.